well, I guess to give a little bit of a professional background, um, yeah, so I'm currently teaching at a community college. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually just starting out teaching at a university uh, for this fall, which is really exciting. Yeah. So, um, and it goes hand in hand with like a, a grad school program that I'm a part of. Okay. Um, I teach in Brooklyn also full time. Okay. So I'm teaching history okay. uh, to middle school students. So uh, that's just to give a little bit of professional or current, you know, background yeah. uh, about me. So, so let me yeah. ask you this. Are you obtaining your master's currently or your doctorate? Uh, so, yeah, this is my second master's program. Okay. Um, and eventually um, I'll be moving on to a PhD program. Well, let me yeah. just give you a little bit of background about me. Um, well, first and foremost, okay. I am recently married. So I'm actually at my parents' house. I don't know if you can tell because we are <laughs> we're transitioning and we're moving to Georgia. So this has been an interesting summer. Um, but I'm Antonisha and I'm from a little town in North Carolina. And I went and got my bachelor's in English. And then I went and got a master's degree in um, teaching and learning. And then I went back and got a master's in school administration because I wanted to be a school leader. So I've been an assistant principal for the last two years. And I know I look like I'm 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I tell people that, they're like, what? I said, yeah, I know I look like I'm 12. But yeah, that's, that's been the case. And I enjoyed every single minute of it. So I'm um, transitioning at the moment. We're going down to Georgia. And so I have to adapt to the Georgia life because I've only been in North Carolina, you know. Um, but at this point, one of, the, one of the things that I'm seeing, right, what's kind of encouraged me to broaden this platform is that parents are panicking right now because of remote learning, because of the virtual schooling that's going on. What would be your advice to parents? Oh, you froze a little bit. Oh, did I? What would be your advice to parents? Can you hear me good? Yes, yes, I can hear you good now. So what, what would so, you be your advice to parents at this point? about um, just going back to school in general and the kids? Yeah, like how can we, how can they work, right, to set their students up? Because it, I think the biggest concern is, you know, if my child is going back to school remotely, you know, yeah. how am I expected to work, right? And make sure my child is learning at home. Okay, so, I would first start out with um, having them kind of observe uh, the high needs for their child already, right? Um, and, you know, this is to say I'm keeping in mind like sixth grade and up when I, when I give this answer. Um, so, you know, around that age, you know, parents have a pretty good idea as to like how their child learns. Yes. Um, and the best scaffolds and differentiated tactics used for them uh, to succeed. So this is to say that the first question that they have to ask is like, 
how can I bring those accommodations uh, into my home if remote learning is going to actually take place and work, right? Um, because I, I think for the most part, um, yes, parents are like, are dealing with, you know, like how can I like have my child, you know, homeschool and remote learn while at the same time I go to work. Um, but then there's the question of, you know, even if I find a way to work and have my child uh, study and learn at home, will they be successful in it, right? Um, and, you know, by just asking that question, it brings a lot of things to the forefront because then it brings to the table, like, what are teachers going to be doing to accommodate the students through remote learning, right? How are they going to engage, like, their interests? Um, what platforms online are they going to use um, to actually trigger a healthy response from the kids? So, um, you know, just bringing that into the conversation, um, it'll do a lot. And that's, I think, that's where it all, it all starts. Yeah, and I think the, the, the thing that everyone has to realize is there is no solution right now. You know, this is something that we're going to have to assess and, you know, basically plan as we go until we figure out what the best option is, right? And I'm even convinced that there yes. is no formula for it. You know, um, I think a lot of times we're trying to plan as if there's always a formula, but this is told, this is a new normal, you know, and you're in New York, right? Uh, I am, yes. Yeah, so yes. For, especially for you, I think it's, you know, you're you're probably in a prime area. I'm not sure what area you're in, but probably in a prime area whereas we're like in a more you know a suburban um area and it's you know it's different everywhere right so there's no one solution and i think that if we realize that everyone can just take a deep breath drink some coffee and you know chill out you know until we figure out how <laughs> So tell me what would be your, if you had to tell a story to a beginning teacher, right? Uh, one of your classroom nightmares, what would your classroom nightmare be? Your one classroom nightmare? Oh God, wow. Uh, <laughs> okay, so this is, this goes back to like my novice years of teaching when I just started out. Um, when I just started out, um, you know, so I, I met a student um, once and, you know, this was literally like my first year doing special education in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I'll never forget her name. So her name is Kayla. And uh, long story short, she left a very uh, strong impression. So um, I just remember, you know, the first day of school, <laughs> I remember the first day of school um, where, you know, everybody was coming in and, yeah. you know, I'm implementing teacher protocols that I learned and everything like that. Um, and you so I had no idea who she was. I had no idea who her classmates were. Yeah. But um, all I remember her doing um, 
was she came into the room like like screaming like like yeah like we back we back you know like we're back to uh we live this year um and you know like she was like showing off like her sneakers to her friends um and so i was just like wow okay like you know right before i even got the chance to to set in a certain impression like this is what was happening so i'm just like okay um but you know i wouldn't call that so much a nightmare i'd say you know in that moment it felt like it was in the beginning but um you know as i got the chance to like grow into like a student teacher relationship with her mm-hmm. um you know things started to change and um you know it came from her being or having like a very low like response to adults to her having a very high respect yeah. uh, for adults as well as myself so um i grew a lot that year and there were uh, many different uh, opportunities for me to grow in uh, situations like that as well. So, um, you know, a nightmare turned into a dream come true. That's how I'm going to say it. Yeah. You know, I was not one of those teachers who was like super specific about what kind of classes that I got, right? Like, if you want to give me the class that nobody else wants, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm going to try my best to do something with that, you know, and I, I think we set this precedent for beginning teachers, right? Sometimes where it's kind of like, oh, well, you don't want that student. You don't want that student. You don't want this student. I read a book. Um, I, I wish I remember the name of it, but uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I think it's like for white people who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too, or something like that. Um, But that book, I read it in grad school and it changed my entire perception on like how we need to really build relationships with students and how you do that, right? So if I'm in an area where it's like a Bible belt, maybe I need to attend a a church service so I can figure out, you know, do, do my students respect church right do they how do they respond to church i mean it's literally a study right like about how and and so the author he went and he did that and he actually came up with this method called um pentecostal pedagogy and it's it was so dope i'm trying to tell you i have to i have to show you this book but it's like where And it's basically where they, you know, in class, he took some of the same practices that he saw them, like, because they respect the church. So he took some of the same practices and he, like, call and response, like, let the church say amen, amen, you know, like, so it was really super duper cool. Listen, I was like, yes, it was so cool. But when, when do we really take the time to do that? You know, do we really take the time to do that? Like, do we really, it's almost like a relationship. Like we don't want to be with someone who doesn't take the time to study who we are, right? So it becomes complicated in that way. So my next question to you, and I know that you know that we're really big, there's a really big movement going on right now with the anti-racism movement, right? Um, How do you plan to be a part of that movement and I had I had someone ask me this question how do you plan to be a part of that movement without bringing up on offense right to others like 
Um, how do we do that? So repeat that question one more time, like the last part especially. So how do we make sure that we're part of the anti-racism movement without actually offending anybody? Gotcha. Okay. So, um, well, through my experience, um, you know, slowly putting myself into that movement, um, I would say to find small pockets of places yeah. where um, your voice can be heard, right? And, you know, when I say voice, I don't just mean like, you know, speaking to like a large audience of people in front of a big crowd, right? Like there's more ways to insinuate voice than that. Um, social media is a very popular thing. Um, and it's also very ineffective, uh, a very effective thing, right? Because everybody now is using it, right? Um, across the board, across professions, everyone is using it. And so this is to say that um, starting off small where you have your ideals and opinions known through things like your Insta stories, um, engaging people in small, let's say TikTok videos where you're making them aware of certain pockets of information. Um, you know, the way you brand yourself, let's say on Facebook, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a many different ways of doing it. And the beauty uh, to our time right now is that um, social networking um, is also very popular. You're, you're, you're speaking, you're constantly able to speak to many different people in many different fields. And so, um, you know, in your networking opportunities, you actually get to see who shares the same ideals as you. And so um, in that way, you start to build um, the anti-racist community uh, behind you, right? Yeah. So um, I know, for instance, I had the Brown Girls Vision Press reach out to me, um, the magazine, and um, they gave me a wonderful opportunity for me to, to write um, about the effects of COVID-19 and, and, and social distancing and, and racism um, in an article. And, um, you know, thank God, you know, that's definitely going to be published soon. But I mentioned that um, because that is another way uh, for me to communicate uh, or give voice to the movement, right, right. through my writing. Right. Um, and for other people as well, that's another way to... Um, communicate their voice, right? Yeah. Through their writing, through certain posts. Um, the, what I like about social media is that you get to engage very large concepts, ideas, and opinions mm -hmm. uh, for a movement in very microscopic ways. Something as simple as a picture with some hashtags and, and your thoughts under it, it goes a long way, yeah. right? Um, and that's why being, um, that's why becoming uh, viral is like such a big deal, yeah. right? That's why people literally have sessions on like how to become viral, not just because of the popularity aspect, but um, to test how far their message and range of voice can go to the population. Yeah. People needs to hear the message. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that was a, and you know, you highlighted something really awesome. Like you can take a humongous idea and basically make it into a really small caption. And, you know, I mean, it could be a book. I've seen people write books in captions. Like you have your points, you got your five little points. There go your five little chapters. You know, I mean, it's really cool how you can go and do that. And I, and so I came from an area where it's a little more conservative and so you didn't have a lot of like school leaders using social media right and I was the one who was right so you know at first I was like oh should I be really careful about how I handle this or and then after a while I just went for it I just went for it I was like you know what this is how I'm able to communicate and relate to my students I would have a student in my office and we'd have an Instagram problem and they'd be saying, yeah, so the story lasts for like 24 hours and, and then everybody else will be like, well, what's the story? And I'm like, oh, it's just a little, you know, you know what I mean? So I was able to actually solve problems well by remaining relevant, you know, um, by knowing you can't get over on me because I know what the story is, okay? So sit on down, <laughs> sit on cool. down, thank you. <laughs> you know, so it was really cool in that way. So I have one more question for you. Um, what are if you could change one thing one thing about education when it comes to educational reform what would that one thing be and how would you change it wow that's a very that's a very thought-provoking question right because that's also a big thing that's happening right now yeah um well you know for me the answer it's like when i when i look at this question I never see any like cookie cutter approaches, right? Because I'm never looking at education reform as like, you know, small bits of um, issues that are existing in it, right? I just see it as something that's ever evolving, right? Um, and so, you know, one thing I guess I can mention about that um, is how we approach policy, right? Um, that's, a, that's a big one, right? Yeah. Um, because there's so much involved in policy when it comes to education reform that to some degree, um, even teachers literally don't have like control over it simply because there are higher policies mm -hmm. um, that are set in place um, that are kind of pushing and navigating the buttons. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have voice. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're not able to affect, you know, change in that area. It just means that it takes a few more action steps uh, to get there. Um, you know, so our communication with higher policy mm -hmm. um, and engaging them in terms of what they're thinking about changing and Honestly, having people in higher policy step down from statistics mm -hmm. and test scores and kind of uh, monetizing the students into numbers, right? Mm -hmm. That's also a very big step, right? Because a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about um, our kids, um, particularly, let's say, in the urban setting, a lot of things that, a lot of uh, the conversation that occurs at the level of higher policies, usually uh, revolving around like numbers, test scores, um, who's the population of, 
uh, what's the population of uh, kids who are like attending or even taking these tests. Um, you know, so that's definitely one way that uh, we can approach it. Absolutely. So um, there are many other things that fall under that, but I would say that that would be step number one. Yeah, and you know, that flows into budget, that flows into uh, curriculum. I mean, that flows into so much, but I think that you know, if we started there, um, we may be able to come down the umbrella, right? And fix these little pockets of little foxes that are making, you know, bigger holes. You know, I, th I feel like that's kind of where we are. Like there's not one humongous problem. There's like a whole bunch of little problems that are just digging one deep big hole, you know? So hopefully and prayerfully, people like you and I can get ourselves together and go and do what we need to do. <laughs> So this is Absolutely. awesome. Thank you so Absolutely. much for coming on. And if anyone wants to follow you or find you, how do they do that? Um, so you can go to professor.rock.1 or professor.rock.larison on Instagram. Uh, I also have a website coming out uh, very, very soon uh, this year. And that'll be posted. Um, in the bio of my my Instagram, uh, along with um, a new Facebook that I'll be opening um, for the purpose of uh, educational purposes. So um, <laughs> I'll have that um, available for everyone soon. Awesome. So thank you so much. I will actually, thank you for coming. I'm sorry I'm under these circumstances, but trust me, we will do this again and we'll have some deeper things to speak about, okay? Um, but I will see you on Wednesday. Yes, yes, for the big uh, conference is happening. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yes. Very we exciting. are both a part of a wonderful summit. I know uh, she does it every year, um, my sorority sister, and she's amazing. So that's going to be an amazing time as well. And I can't wait to hear all the gems you're going to drop on us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm very excited for that too. Yes. Well, thank you so much, and I'll be speaking with you soon. Not a problem. Take care. Take care.